0: Different the way that they're thinking from the way I think. And then you grow up and you start to think like your parents, you know. So you start to think differently. And and after a while, you even start to think so differently that you look back and you think about people who are thinking differently from you, even though they think the same way that you used to think. And I know we're talking a lot about thinking. So uh, lots of times the Bible thinks so differently speaks so differently from the way that we have been used to thinking that it just seems to come out of nowhere. And I think uh, as we come to the the passage that we're at today, we come to a passage where a, a, a lot of, uh, as I was reading commentaries and reading different, different writers on this passage, they think, where does this come from? It seems so disconnected from what Paul is, has been writing about. How is this connected to... All these other things like and and in reality, as, as I thought about it, I think that there's a great disconnect because they think that this cannot possibly be here because it doesn't follow from what's gone before. And I think in Paul's mind, it makes perfect sense. And we want to begin to talk, to think like the way Paul thinks, to think about the way the way the Bible thinks. So with that in mind, look at Second Corinthians five. 2 Corinthians 5, and I just want to start with the the topic or or the ideas that Paul has been talking about and then see how there is a natural progression to what comes next. So 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to start in verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, and we'll read into the next chapter. So just a few verses here. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you and a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He's writing to the Corinthians about, "I, I be reconciled to God. I, I serve as Christ's ambassador. That is, he was especially chosen by Christ, especially chosen by God, set apart by God to serve in the, in the office of apostle, to be the one who would carry the gospel to the world. I'm I'm speaking on behalf of Christ. When I speak, it is Christ speaking through me. And I'm saying to you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Christ, who was the sinless one, he was without sin. He knew no sin. He was without without the corruption of sin. He never committed a sin. He never thought a sin. He never desired sin. He became sin for us. In our place, bearing our sins on himself. Our sins were not counted against us, but they were counted as being Christ. So that in him, by our by our faith with him, our union with him, our uniting with him. God would count the sinlessness of Christ as the righteousness of God for us. The righteousness of God was counted for us for us. And then verses one and two of chapter six, Paul goes on from there and he says, So, so with this I with this way of working, we are working with God. We are God's co-workers. We are we are working as a result of Him sending us out. Now's the time well, salvation, be reconciled to God. Don't, don't, this is, this is not the time, the time that Jesus Christ has now come and died on the cross and been raised from the dead and ascended to God and, and is now we are only awaiting his return. Now is not the time to turn back from God. Now is the time to be reconciled to God. Now is the time of salvation. Trust Christ, re- return to God. You have, you have, you have been seeming to turn away from God, but I'm, I'm calling you be reconciled to God. And so that's what Paul's been thinking about. That's what Paul's been talking about. Be reconciled to God. Do not turn astray from the gospel, but instead hold tightly. Stand firm. Do not go astray. Let, let not your initial, uh, your initial response to the gospel of faith be in vain. Instead, persevere. Keep on believing in Jesus Christ. Keep holding to this gospel that I have presented to you. Now then... He goes on from there in verses uh, 3 through 13 to talk about how he was with them as a father. He talks about the ways that he committed himself to them, the ways that he sacrificed for them, the way that he loved them and spoke the truth to them. And then you come to verse 14. And there is this lack of the kinds of connecting words that we kind of associate with with Paul. Uh, Is that... Is that because Paul is switching to a completely unconnected topic? Or is it because for Paul, this is the natural flow? To be reconciled to God means or results in our holy separation from the unbelieving world. And I think that the, the, the idea, what I hope you'll see today is that if we if we are reconciled to God that will result in our in the holy separation of God's people the holy separation of the church from the unbelieving world so let's pick up in verse uh, 14 what i want you to see first is that we should not be yoked with unbelievers or the way that i would put it maybe in a way that's more more easier to grasp do not be allied with Do not be allied with unbelievers. So pick up in verse 14 and read with me verses 14 through 16. This is what it says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We'll stop there. So the idea of being unequally yoked, that that is the that's the same word there. That 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 word that's translated unequally yoked, that's the same word that is is translated in the, the Greek Old Testament as uh, in in Leviticus 19, where the idea is is do not try to mix together two breeds of domesticated animals. So the way, way we might think of, especially in light of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, you don't try and mix Sheep and goats together—you can't do that. Don't don't try to do that. That that's that's strange. That's unfitting. That's that's kind of those things don't mix. It also calls to mind the the whole idea of Deuteronomy twenty-two. There's a verse in there that talks about not not hitching an ox and a mule together to to pull the plow because they don't pull the same way, and so your 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 plow your your row line is not going to be straight. Don't. Don't pull them, don't don't let them pull. they, they don't fit together. They don't they don't go together in the same way Paul is saying like we we cannot be allied with or we cannot be yoked with unbelievers. And you think about what even even that section in Leviticus 19, and that's in what is called the the holiness section of Leviticus. Some of you who have committed yourselves to reading through the Bible, reading through the entire Bible, the first time you read that. It's a little bit difficult. Why? Why is it that we can't sew two piece, two different kinds of garments together? We can't. We can't have a poly cotton blend. You know, we can't. We can't sew those things together. Why? Why not? Why can't you sow two different kinds of seed in the same field? Or why do not you have to have these different foods that, that that only you only eat these foods and you don't eat those foods and that that implies separation and and the the reason is is because what God is teaching His people in the Old Testament, what He's teaching us is that that God's people have to be separate from the paganism of the world. They cannot be they cannot be in union with it. They can't fit with it. They, they they have to they have these everyday reminders from the time that they get dressed in the morning to when they eat breakfast to when they go out and work in the field and when they try and hitch up the, the plow and they, they, they have these they they have these everyday reminders don't be associated with, don't be allied with. The paganism of the nations, and I think that what you should think about the next time you do read through those chapter after chapter after chapter of being holy of being separate of of not being not eating unclean food and not sowing two kinds of seed together and not sowing two kinds when you next time you read think about just how seriously God is God takes holiness god's God's commitment to his own holiness and to the holiness of his people is of extreme importance. Now, then, you might think that God was committed to his holiness in the Old Testament. But now that there is the removal of those, those uh, laws that set up boundaries between Jews and Gentiles, now that those things are removed, that God's not so interested in his holiness anymore, or the holiness of his people. That was, that was an Old Testament idea, and now we are, we are New Testament Christians, and God is, not, God is not committed to holiness or the holiness of his people the way that he used to be. Well, this should act as a corrective to that idea. God intends that just as God's people were supposed to be separate from the paganism, from the pagan nations in the Old Testament, he intends for his people today to be separate from all of the impurity and paganism and, and worldliness of the unbelieving world. Now then, now then, we do have to clarify what Paul intends by being separate from the world. So if you're, if you're there, you might want to flip back with me to 1 Corinthians 5, or you could just listen. 1 Corinthians 5, we're going to read verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. This is what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So when we talk about being the, the church or believers being separate from the world, it's not talking about the ordinary daily interactions of life. You know, we're going to, we're going uh, it's, to, it's okay that, you know, we think about even what about. What Paul says in first Corinthians seven he says that when you are getting married, you should marry in the Lord, you should marry another believer, but if for instance you are married and then you come to Christ and you find yourself married to an unbeliever you don't you don't separate you don't divorce your spouse simply because you're a believer and they're not you you don't get much more much a much closer daily interaction than being husband and wife, so don't don't divorce or or there's a the recognition that uh we are going to live in the same neighborhoods we're going to we're going to go and buy our groceries uh with uh, may, oftentimes from unbelieving people we're going to go to the marketplace and we're not going to try and find out we don't necessarily have to find out if the guy who is who is selling the bread uh is a believer we we can we can buy bread he's saying like if we if we try to separate ourselves from entirely then we would have to go out of the world. That's not what he intends. We can hire unbelieving plumbers to come and fix our toilets, and we can hire uh, unbelieving uh, air conditioner guys to come and fix our air conditioner in August. And, and you know, those are, that is, you know, if you're going through the phone book, you don't have to, you need to get your air conditioner fixed. You don't have to try and find the, the believing air conditioner guy. You can just get whoever can come out there and make it cool in your house. That's that's okay. That's just normal. You know, a lot of us are are gonna have uh, unbelieving bosses, and you think about masters and slaves in the in the script in the times of the scriptures now modern day employment is not exactly the same as it was uh in the slavery of those times, but let's realize not it's not like most of us can just up and quit our job and go and find another job. We're sometimes limited in the number of job opportunities that we have that means that that a lot of us are going to work for unbelieving bosses. Paul doesn't say hey, you need to you need to try and remove yourself from slavery because your boss is unbelieving. He says if you can stop being a slave, that's fine. But but it's not necessary for you to separate that way. In the everyday daily interactions of life, we can we can we're we're going to rub shoulders with unbelievers. We can be a part of public life. We can be a part of society. So uh, that would keep us from going the ways of of some well-intentioned Christians who just sort of remove themselves entirely from society. That's not what's called for. At the same time, what what Paul is talking about, and I think I think if we take 1st and 2nd Corinthians together, we see that there are people who though they are professing faith in Christ and they're coming to church, they're also still going to I- idol temples. They're going to worship idols and they're probably also Participating in the sexual immorality that would go along with that. So, where does that leave us? Okay, don't note to self, don't uh go to pagan idol temples or participate in cult prostitution. Check. Okay, so so that that but but we should not be blind to the idolatry that is all around us. I mean, we can pretend like things aren't the way they were. Things are the way they were. Our our society, the the unbelieving world around us, is dominated by sexual immorality and perversion. Be separate from the unbelieving world. The world recognizes the dangers of alcoholism, uh, and yet it still basically accepts occasional drunkenness. Be separate from the world. The world uh, expects that to grease the grooves of commerce, there has to be a little bit of underhanded dealing, a little bit of swindling. Be separate from the world. what the world expects and what the world expects as far as unrighteousness, Christians, believers are to be separate from that. We do not participate in that. We are not allied to that. We, are, we, have no, we have no portion with that. We have no part in that. Now then, I, I might not have named the thing that you know that you need to be separate from. My, I, my, my idea here is that probably most of us know already what it is that we need to separate from. Your, your conscience already condemns you. And whatever is not, does not come from a good conscience is sin. So whatever it is that you need to separate from, be separate from it. Separate from the unbelieving world. Now, I also kind of want to revisit something uh, that, that I kind of alluded to before. You know, think about what Paul has been saying. He's been talking here about being, reconcil- being an ambassador of God. He's been talking about being reconciled to God. Uh, although Paul is in a unique position as the ambassador of God, he certainly intends for us to follow his example in some ways, where he laid down his rights so that people would come to know Jesus Christ, so we also should lay down our rights so that people would come to know Jesus Christ. That's what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. So we, we want people to come to know Jesus Christ. We, we should be evangelizing. It is, the, it is a discipline and privilege of every Christian that we would be sharing the gospel with other people. Jesus Christ was a, was a friend of sinners. He did not participate in the sin of sinners, but in the ordinary daily interactions of life that, is, that are permissible. He was sharing the gospel with people. But he was not entering into sin with them. And so I think that we should not be using the ideas of being an ambassador for Christ or trying to reconcile the world to Christ as cover for us being a part of sin or being worldly. Oftentimes I I hear uh, people talk as if as if we need to in some way be be dipping into worldly things so that we can then be able to share the gospel with the world. What makes that so, so terrible is that evangelism is so good and yet that is so wicked. That is not what God intends. God does not intend, for, we're, we're going we're gonna to be around unbelievers. We're, we live in neighborhoods with unbelievers. We're going to work with unbelievers. We're going we're gonna to stand around the grocery line with unbelievers, with people who don't know Jesus Christ. We don't have to dip into worldly things. We don't have to go to the idol temple in order to share the gospel with the idolaters. So we've gone through the first sentence so far. Now then let's continue a little further. Just recognize that be separate, and he says for you know the he's giving these reasons, and he gives these reasons and he gives he gives these uh these things that just don't go together they, these are all rhetorical questions, and the implied answer is uh, none, they don't have anything to do with one another, so what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness what what does it have to do with what does obeying God's commands, what does that have to do with then acting as if you are a lawless person, as if there are no restrictions on you? They don't have anything to go with each other. They don't fit together. Same way a mule and a donkey don't fit together, pulling a plow, the same way that uh, sheep and goats don't fit together. We Lawlessness does not fit with godliness it does not fit with righteousness or or uh, what fellowship has light with darkness if you have come to see the light of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ you that does not go with the deeds of darkness they don't mix together they they don't go together don't don't have it, don't be uh, don't be allied or yoked to unbelievers because you don't go together and it goes on from there, what, uh, what accord has Christ with, with Belial or, or what peace has been made with, with Christ between him and the prince of demons? I think that Paul uses the word uh, Belial there as kind of, a really uncommon uh, name uh, for, for the devil. But I think he wants to heighten the idea that when you go and worship in pagan temples, you are worshiping demons. That's what he says in, in 1 Corinthians. Well, those don't go together. You don't. You don't make. You don't become a part of the new covenant with Christ and then go make a deal with the devil. You don't. You don't participate in the worship of of God and hearing His word and then also participate in various forms of new age uh, religion or Eastern religions or. Um, or or naturalism, or or give yourself over to a completely a completely false and pagan way of thinking. You don't partic- continue to participate in apostate churches or cults. You separate yourself. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Uh, what what inheritance? You know the, the inheritance of every believer is eternal life in a new heavens and the er- new earth what what part does a believer have in participating in things that are destining other people for hell? Paul Paul talks about those things that are that are bringing people to hell and Christians continually want to try to make excuses for why they should be able to participate in those in those activities. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And we'll expand on this here but but you don't bring, you don't worship idols, you don't worship false gods in the place where God dwells. God has made us his dwelling. How could, how could we, who are the temple of God, then participate in the worship of idols? And this is a different, it's a little bit different way of thinking about it. So when you're thinking about what is it that I need to separate from, what is it that just doesn't fit with following Christ? what is it that just doesn't it just doesn't go together i think we know what these things are we we know that that being entertained and laughing at unrighteousness does not go with following jesus we we know that that uh being uh, sitting around with with a bunch of fools involved in all kinds of of foolish Fool, in, in our in our foolish little gang, we know that that does not go along with following Jesus Christ. Do do those things that are fitting, be separate from those things that are unfitting for a Christian. Now then, just in connection with First uh, Corinthians five, I think there is also the idea that that uh, of of church membership and church discipline here. When we talk about church membership, we're just talking about how do you recognize who belongs to the church? Uh, and I just refer you to First Corinthians 5 where it has this insider-outsider language. There are those who are inside the church and there are those who are outside the church. Who's inside the church? And so, so those who are inside the church ought to reflect the holiness of God. We know that there is still going to be sin so long as we are still in these bodies, still still dealing with our old man, man still dealing with our old thoughts or old habits. We know that we are never going to be completely sinless in this life. And yet there ought to be a, a characteristic of those who call themselves Christians, and especially the, the corporate body of Christ, that there is a, an element of holiness, an element of separation, an element of distinction between God's people and the world, church membership is, is a way of talking about that distinction. And it also implies uh, church discipline. Now, we, when we think of church discipline, I don't want you to get the idea of this kind of harsh surveillance of your life where, where other people are looking. Uh, we're kind of like the, the, the ecclesiastical NSA. You know, we've got your, we've got your little camera on your, on, your, on your laptop and we're watching you all the time. That's, that's not what church discipline is. If you go and look at someplace like 1 Corinthians 5, here's a guy who is uh, openly involved in sexual immorality of a perverse kind that... Even the unbelieving world does not rejoice in. And yet the church is proud of it. The church is, is, oh, look at how gracious we are. How accepting. How how free we are and living in this you know Paul says you get together and you exclude that man from among you. You remove him. And when you remove him, you think of me as being right there with you, removing him with you. So there is no part in that. And, and later on, Paul talks about uh, other things that might be what we would think of as outward sins that people would be unrepentant about. Drunkenness, swindling, you know, un- unfair business dealings. You know, those, are, those are the kinds of things that, that uh, we want to exclude from the church rightly uh, we're going to be separate from the world that's what Paul is talking about here we we as we as those who have partaken of the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus we're not going to dwell in darkness anymore those of us who have been counted as righteous we're not going to live lawlessly we're going to we're going to be separate from the world we're going to be holy even as God is holy God, God is still taking this matter of holiness uh, seriously. Now, then we go from there to his next command, which is to go out from the unbelievers. So we pick up in verse 16, uh, 16 again, read through verse 18. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. One of the things that Paul does is sometimes to make his point, he strings uh, passages from the Old Testament together. And so the the first one uh, comes from Leviticus 26, and it is likely read through the lens of Ezekiel 37. So Ezekiel 26, uh, God says to the people of Israel, if you obey my commands, then I am going to live among you. I'm going to dwell among you. Well, what what Israel did was they did not obey God's commands. And so God's, God's glory left the temple. That's where it's recorded in the book of Ezekiel. But later on in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, God, God through Ezekiel begins to point to a time later on when God is going to regather his people. He's going to bring them back together. And I think this points to even the gathering of all who believe from all nations, Jew and Gentile, even as we memorize, all, all who believe will be gathered into one new man. And he would cleanse them. Well, that's what, that's what Paul, Paul's taking that, that idea and he's saying, God has gathered us to, together. He has brought us together. He has made us one new man and he dwells in us like his temple. The temple was this place that was set apart as especially the dwelling place of God, the dwelling place of God to bless his people. And Paul says, we are the temple. He's made us his temple. He's living with us even by His spirit. And he goes, he goes on from there, okay? So the, he goes on and he quotes a, a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 59. And Isaiah 59, there is this, there's this whole idea in the back half of Isaiah that there's going to be a new exodus. You've gonna, you're gonna, you're been taken away into exile. You've been taken in, in, away into captivity. But you are going to be brought back to God. Similar, similar kind of overlap with Ezekiel's message or Jeremiah's message. About, about a new covenant or, or a, a new work of God. But Isaiah says, okay, if you're being brought back and you're going to be bringing back all these temple vessels to the temple that was destroyed, in order to carry temple vessels, you have to be pure. And that's why Isaiah says, well, if, if, you're going to be, if you are going to be among those who are coming back Go, go out from the paganism of the nations around you. Go out from the worldliness that is around you. And this is all through the, the New Testament. John will talk about it as do not love the world. James will talk about it as do not be friends with the world. Or, or do not be, uh, keep yourself unstained by the world. Touch no unclean thing. Have nothing to do with those that go, go out. To, to come into the light is to come out of the darkness. We have been brought out of, out of the domain of darkness into God's marvelous light. We, he is light. God is light. And so we should walk in the light. That's what it means. And then not only does uh, uh, Paul sometimes string verses together, but he even sometimes smashes them together. And so uh, verse 18, he talks about, I will be a father to you. There he is, is bringing to mind first, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 7. That is where God says that he will make a covenant with one of David's offspring, that he will be that God will be a father to him. Well, the way that the way that we think of this is the same way, the same way that there was uh, the first Adam and people were in in Adam. So they are connected to his guilt and his corruption. So everyone who is connected to Jesus Christ as the second Adam is connected to his righteousness and and being cleansed of all corruption. Well, it's the same it's the same way with David, okay? So so David acts as the representative head. He he the, the Davidic king is the son of God. He's the representative of all God's people and everybody who is in him or connected to him or in his kingdom they are adopted by God as sons and daughters. That is, think about it this way. What, what God says about the son, say, for instance, at, at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. What he says about the son, since we are in Christ, he says about us. We are his sons and daughters. Now then, that that, that phrase, sons and daughters, is, is also something that is 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 a kind of theme that goes through the Bible. Uh, There is this idea in Deuteronomy 12 where the the sons and daughters, the the people of Israel would be God's sons and daughters, and they would come and worship God at the temple in holiness. But also when Israel would turn away, the sons and daughters would go into captivity, and that's what happens in, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Deuteronomy talk about it. But then there's this idea that comes up in some place, like in a good example is Isaiah 43, 6. that God again is going to regather His people. He's going to bring His sons and daughters from the ends of the earth. God, God has gathered us together. Listen, if if God has come and dwelt among us, and walked among us, we need to be separate from impurity, from uncleanness, from from that all that is profane says go out from them that means we need to we need to come out since since we are since we are participants in being freed from the bondage of sin well, let's not live in sin let's not continue to to act as if we are slaves when we are no longer slaves to sin if we have been made sons and daughters of God almighty then let us reflect the holiness of our Father as holy children. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, he's taking these things. If if we we are the temple of God, we have nothing to do with idols. These are the promises of God to us. So let's be holy. And that leads us to the last uh the last verse that we'll look at here, Ver, chapter 7, verse 1, where the last command is that we should cleanse ourselves from every defilement. It says since we have these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of god these promises the promises he's talking about god dwells with us the promise is we are being brought out of the bondage to sin the promise is that we are going to be adopted as sons and daughters we are adopted as sons and daughters of god so if we have these if we have these promises Another way of saying it, if we are reconciled to God, if we are trusting God, if we are in Jesus Christ, if we are children of God, if we've been a set apart as God's people. Then let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. Now, look, look at Look at uh, this is this is dent. So he says, let us cleanse ourselves. I want you to take note of the fact that this is this is something that we do. So we are not only objects of the cleansing work of God, but we are also participants in our cleansing. So we know we should not think that we would cleanse ourselves apart from relying upon the Holy Spirit. And yet by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we would be acting. We would be participating. We would be working with him, with, the, with, all of the, with all of the energy that he works in us. We are cleansing ourselves. We are setting these things aside. The reason why I stress this is because we should not sit around wishing that we are going to get holier. We are not wishing. We are willing and we are working by the willing and working which the Spirit works in us. This is not a passive experience. Sanctification, the the process of becoming becoming holy as God is holy, is not something that we passively receive. It is something that God is working in us and that we work with him in. We are working. We are active. When when Paul is saying these things, you, you are reconciled to God. Jesus Christ died in your place. He took your sin. But he doesn't go from that. Now you should sit in passivity. In perfect quietude and complacency. He says. He says. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. He says go out. He says cleanse yourselves. Actively be at work to be cleansed. He says. Says uh, after that. He says from every defilement of body and spirit. All right. So let's say that. That all of these, all of the, this whole context of not being participants in idol worship, that seemed kind of remote to you. Justifiably so. It seems a little bit remote. How about, how about cleanse yourself from every defilement? That That's not, that's not just idolatry. That's not just. That's not just a few outward sins. Notice he says in body and spirit, there is a kind of legalism that says we only need to be holy on the outside. If I, you know, we are we only need to be holy in body. We certainly should be holy in body. Our bodies belong to God. Therefore, flee sexual immorality. Glorify God with your body. Do not be do not be given to drunkenness or sensuality. Our bodies, they, they, don't, they don't belong to that. God, our bodies belong to God, but it's not only our bodies that belong to God. It is also our spirits that belong to God. So not only should our bodies be dedicated to holiness, but we should devote ourselves to be free from every, every lust, every jealousy, every, every desire that is unholy. It's not, just, it's not just external, it's also internal. From every defilement. We still have defilements. As holy as we become in this life, there is still the there is still the the reading of ourselves of things that defile us. You, all of us, keep going. let, Let us let us keep working to to be done with these things. He says bringing holiness to completion. So so you have died to the dominion of sin. You don't serve that master anymore. You serve God. And that ought to be recognizable in the way that you live. So let us live that way. And finally, he says, in the fear of God. In the fear of God. We talk about the fear of God. I always feel like kind of dance around it, okay, a little bit. I want to be delicate with it. uh, Because here's here's what I don't want to do which is what I hear a lot of people do, is that they, they say, say, say something along the lines of uh, what God means by the fear of God is that you don't really have to fear God. I, I don't like that. You've probably picked up on that by now. I don't, I don't think that's, that's not true to Scripture. Uh, at the same time, I know that there are some of you who are uh, tenderhearted, you're struggling in your sins, you're maybe, maybe struggling with assurance, uh, and, and I don't want you to live in dread of God. Because if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation for you. You should know that as, as sure as Jesus Christ is a perfect sacrifice, that you are accepted by God as his son or daughter. I want you to know that. And think of it this way, though. Uh, a father who disciplines his son, which is what what uh, what God pictures himself as. He, If we are really God's children, then he will really discipline us. And if you have... Uh, good Christian parents, you know that really good discipline stings. Really good discipline is painful for a moment. Well, G- God, God Himself knows how to perfectly implement discipline, and so there is a real sense in which we should not enter into sin because we do not want to enter into the painful discipline of God. We we do indeed fear displeasing God. And there's another way of thinking about it that's even within this context. Some of you are afraid to give up your idols. You're just afraid. You, you, have, you have lived so long with your idol, your, your, your pet sin, you cannot imagine giving it up. You're afraid you're afraid of what it will feel like to give up the pleasure of that sin. Or you are afraid that you will suffer the consequences of, that, of, of giving up that sin. Like, like, like it's going to feel bad to give that up. It's going to hurt to give up uh, those, those activities, even some of those relationships. It's going to hurt. And, and you're just afraid of that. You're afraid to look odd to the world. You're afraid to, to, to stand out from, from the worldliness and godliness that is around us. You're afraid. What do you fear more? Do you fear displeasing God who made you and who promises a reward to all those who will, will pursue godliness? The, the, the idea of faith is to believe that God exists and that he rewards those who hope in him. Do you fear him, or do you fear the world? Maybe some of you, like I did, yeah had the the little group of teenage friends that got you in trouble in high school and when I say that they got you in trouble, what I mean is is that you were an active participant in the trouble that you collectively did okay are are you a, are you afraid how however you in that in that kind of juvenile way? We we all kind of have a little a little bit of juvenile in us. Are we afraid of pulling back from that life? We're gonna we're gonna lo- we're gonna lose all those good times. We're gonna lose all those good buddies. Or are you afraid of displeasing God, who's gonna bring you into eternal life? God promises far more. You, Jesus talked. He talked about leaving family. He talked about leaving friends. He talked about leaving, leaving uh, fields and and property behind. He said, "You're going to receive much more than that if you come follow me in this life and in the one to come." So let us bring holiness completion. Let us let us be separate from the world. You know, this this past week, I was I was listening to a book, and, and I was just talking about this uh, this group from the past. described it as a as a holiness movement. I think I think I, I always learn a lot from history, especially Christian history, and and I, I see the the problems that sometimes arise in association with holiness movements. But just in as I look and as I, I compare what things look like with what the scriptures say, I I think that the the church needs a holiness movement. The church needs a holiness movement. Our church needs a holiness movement. Our church does. It, It is in our church that there are many of us who need to be rid of all the defilements of body and spirit that we are still clinging to. We need to cleanse ourselves and so what it means to be reconciled to god what it looks like the 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 dis, the the connection that paul makes that that many of us are not making is that being reconciled to god is that we should cleanse ourselves and bring holiness to completion in the fear of god let's make that connection let's think the way that the bible thinks And let that be our worldview, our perspective, our vantage point on life. And pray for us. Father. uh, Father, as we confess that in there are complexities in our thoughts and we are. We are conflicted about leaving behind. The old man. But help us to see that we ought not be. They ought to leave aside. Leave leave all our old practices. Leave all of our old habits. All of our thoughts. All of our old desires. Uh, everything that is associated with our old way of sin. Or the way that we formerly lived. And sin and unrighteousness. Uh, living under your wrath. Living under your judgment. Help us to leave all that behind. Help us to push on. Help us, Help us to take seriously your commands. To be separate, to be a separate people who are distinguished from the world by the holiness that is yours. By the holiness that you have granted to us as a gift, by the holiness that you are working in us day by day. Help us to move to be holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.